Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Atlantic Bushcraft Adventures. Tonight we are talking about fishing gear and improvised fishing gear and fishing ideas and everything fishing related. Uh, I guess I should mention it's episode 118. I normally mention with the episode number, kind of skimmed right over it, but I mean 118 episodes and still going strong. And tonight we have with us um, somebody that generally joins us in our comments and stuff there. It's uh, NS Yak Fisher or Gary, as you can see with the name up there. So welcome to the show, Gary. Thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's always exciting to get Gary here. So yeah, tonight's episode, we're going to be chatting fishing. Um, and where would you gentlemen like to start? Because this is kind of an open discussion on the topic. Uh, I know there were some points we wanted to talk about, but does anybody really want to start the ball rolling? What yeah, do you think? You're the guest. I'll let you go first. Well, uh, when you said it was uh, going to be uh, improvised fishing, I immediately thought about uh, those cards that are out there. Um, the little the ready man uh, style ones. Yeah, I mean uh, Zachary Fowler has one. Uh, there's a number of them out there that have uh, uh, like tiny hooks or or uh, stuffs on them, different survival things on them. But uh, that's what immediately came to my brain. Uh, and I keep meaning to actually purchase one because I think it's a handy thing to have, like fits in your wallet, like a credit card size, right? So, um, yeah, I uh, I actually have one of those somewhere. My brother got me for Christmas a few years ago. Uh, I never tested it too much. They, uh, I think they would work in a pinch, and, and I'm sure there's different qualities. But the one I got, I, I, I don't think you'd get a lot of fish on a single hook before it would start to fail. Hmm. You and that's kind mean? of, um, with a lot of the improvised stuff, that kind of becomes uh, an ongoing issue, if you will. Like, uh, I mean, I'm thinking of a couple different hooks I've tried, you know, improvised-wise. They all kind of come with the same thing. You, you get a couple tries out of it, uh, maybe a few bites, and then they all start to go down. But I think I think the idea in improvised fishing is you're just trying to get through that one instance, right? Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I keep thinking that it would be uh, like a, a good challenge weekend or something if if uh, a bunch of guys went out and each bought a card and that's what you use for a weekend in, a, in an area um, I know uh, I've seen Zachary uh, Fowler there uh, on his channel use them quite extensively because he actually I think has a card that's specific to fishing and for yeah. different things but now they're awfully neat and if you get for the one, some of the ones I've seen, you can get like two or three different size hooks and a handful of each hook, and it's in a. It doesn't take up any more room than your credit card. So, yeah, you know, in the woods, that's worth a hell of a lot more than your credit card is. <laughs> oh, for sure. And I mean, just the steel alone, and it is worth because I mean, the credit card usually they they have punch out little uh, items on the ones we're thinking about, right? Like they yeah. they all come, and then you just kind of punch them out. Well, the leftover metal you can use for a bunch of other stuff too, uh, potentially making lures or you know whatever else. If if you have maybe a multi tool or something with you, which I always carry in my bag, you know that Ben. Uh, and I think you guys are probably much the same. Have some sort of set of pliers or something like that on you at any real given I think time. It's... Leatherman's in my pocket, so. Yeah. Sitting here now trying to think where my card is. <laughs> That's going to bug you now, isn't it? It is going to bug me. I, I'm pretty sure I took it out of the wallet because it was starting to, uh, it was in like a little envelope and I think it was starting to fail. The envelope, not the, the card itself. So while you're looking for that, Ben, if I may be so bold, I've kind of broken the topic down tonight into a couple different subjects that maybe we can approach to kind of hopefully keep us on track. Where there's three mm -hmm. of us, I know, where this could go off in a bunch of different directions. But the idea I have is when we come to improvised fishing, let's break it down into some of its basic concepts and talk about each one. So we can talk about, talk about improvised hooks, which we are kind of starting off with, then potentially improvised spinners, maybe improvised line, improvised lures, improvised weights, and we'll just kind of go through the list talk about them individually, and then as people kind of zoom in, zoom out, fade in, fade out, they can pick up at the spot they want, and hopefully that gives us some sort of direction to go in. Uh, does that sound like a reasonable plan? Yeah, for sure. Sounds good, yeah. All right, cool. So we talked about the, the card hooks, and honestly, that never even came into my head. I do got to get a set of those. I know, like you guys said, a couple different individuals are doing them now. Uh, I think uh, Wayne, Colcraven there, he has one. 
If I'm yeah, not he did a number of videos there using using them catching small stream brookies, which is kind of where I th think they shine anyways, mm. little tiny streams and stuff. And I mean, most of these improvised, well, I shouldn't say most of them, I guess some of them would work on larger fish, but I mean, when I think improvised hook, I think smaller fish, brooks, uh, streams, maybe small rivers, uh, I, I guess maybe lakes and stuff too, but I'm not thinking like uh, fast water or anything like that. I, I don't know anything I've personally tried. I doubt would stand up to it. And as Ben can attest to, even with the proper fishing gear, sometimes I'm not that great. So, <laughs> but uh, no, so we did, we talked about the card hooks there. Have you either of you guys ever tried like um, the thorn hooks or bone hooks or anything like that, where you take like the little sliver, you point it on two ends, tie it in the middle? Yeah. Uh I never really gave it much thought, but uh, I guess maybe being locked down and all, and and uh, and uh, not having a whole lot to do uh, the last month or so. And uh, there's actually uh, Greg Owens, a Canadian that from uh, up Alberta, um, who's on a loan. Just in the last few weeks, put out a video where he made uh, them out of bone, uh, out of rose, uh, rose thorns. And uh, watching him have some success uh, and some failures, I think he even had um, homemade uh, line in that episode or in those episodes. But uh, that certainly piqued my interest. Uh, just another reason to get out in the outdoors, really, is to try some different things and see see what actually one could accomplish. I've I haven't really tried fishing with them. I have played with like trying to carve them and 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 tie tie thorns and stuff together a bit it, and it seems like a great idea uh but like you, you robert like my luck with fishing is not always the greatest so i usually go with any advantage i can uh i have really played a little bit more with the the tab on the the aluminum cans uh i haven't had any success with it but i can see how the concept works where you you cut the uh tab at a slight angle and you tie through the top and just bend it out uh it is a bit big, so you're definitely looking at a slightly larger fish, and it is aluminum, so your your strength isn't massive. But I think you could definitely pull a few in with that too. So for me, um, I have actually tried the aluminum tab one, and I have caught a fish on it. Believe it or not, uh, it was a flounder of all things. So I mean, you know, flat fish, mm -hmm. kind of on the bottom. They'll eat anything. So I mean, I probably could have tied a rock to it, and they would have eaten it. But I've also tried the bone ones, is which why I brought it up. I've tried them out of wood and bone. Zero luck on the wood. I could never get it small enough to really work well. But with bone, especially bird bones is what I was using, because, you know, we had chicken, so why not? Uh, they're actually pretty small, and when they dry out, they get really hard. And they, they're they pretty sharp on either end, and you can make a pretty decent hook in one of those. And I have had luck on that. Um, once again, uh, I think that time it was... I think that was actually trout. That one was in a lake. And it worked fairly well, but I have had zero luck on wood. Uh, the issues I ran in with wood, and this is why I was hoping you guys to try them, was the dang things float. <laughs> Every wood one I've tried to make, I've made it out of like dense wood, thinking, okay, it's going to sink. But as it dries, because um, I'd always make these at home, not in the woods, which may be detrimental to this whole thing, uh, you'd throw it out, and then it would just float to the surface. And I mean that—that's always been my problem with wooden hooks. So I was hoping maybe you guys had some insight on that. But you can catch fish on the surface if you have the right bait. I mean, Gary, back yeah. me up. <laughs> certainly, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I've seen uh, cranberry flies uh, that mock that model uh, berries uh, work for. I mean, I I tend to tend to fish with whatever piece of equipment is sort of best for the job. Um, I'm not, there's a lot of people who just fish trout or just fish salmon or just sort of smallmouth and that. I'm kind of multi-species and, and really interested in a lot of the non-traditional species. Uh, so, you know, sometimes the fly rod's the right job, right thing for the job. Sometimes it's an ultralight rod. Um, I'd probably scare most people with the amount of uh, rods that are in the uh, in the uh, building. Kayak. <laughs> I have a kayak. If I'm fishing a tournament, I carry as many as ten. So uh, holy moly, I don't think I've ever owned ten rods in my life. If I put them all together, 
but I'm not for, a fisherman. You know what no, I mean? So. But for a tournament, I would carry nine or ten, uh, particularly tournaments in New Brunswick, uh, where there's way more species. Anything from you might uh, there's a tournament I caught, you know, a, a three inch or four or five inch uh, pumpkin seed and a striper um, in the same tournament. So that's a, quite a and had three four foot sturgeon jump beside the boat that I didn't catch. So um, I'm more I yeah I'll use whatever I think is the best tool for the job and uh, kind of getting more interested in and fishing for those fish that just people don't fish for anymore or don't try like you how many people have eaten a catfish or a brown bullhead in nova scotia type of thing or a sucker do we have catfish in nova scotia like natively we, we have yeah. brown bullhead uh, uh or horn pout some people call them or a lot of, most people just call them catfish but they're not like you know your channel cats uh I have eaten them. I've actually eaten them from uh, Kedgy when I was younger. Uh, uh, Kedgy Lake has a good population, and it's a relatively clean lake, and they were delicious. Uh, I think my daughter actually pulled a couple of small catfish out of Kedgy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so would those be like a traditional catfish that have the barbs on the face and all that? Yeah, they're just, they don't grow real big. Yeah, uh, You'd rarely see one over a pound, but they'd probably go to two maybe two pounds around here at maximum but that would be extremely rare yeah the, the ones she had caught might have been six seven ounces like it wasn't half a pound hmm. but yeah. it was fun to catch and i think we caught those on all things uh we were using crackle berries we we couldn't find any worms or anything, and I just picked up a couple of crackleberries stuck on a hook and let her toss it out, and she just let them sink to the bottom. And mm. I think when we caught them in Kedju, we caught them on little bit pieces of bacon fat. Oh yeah, that's that's almost as good as pepperettes. But you can eat the pepperettes. Well, I suppose you can eat the bacon fat too. <laughs> that was our bait of choice when we were at the river. Ah. Mm. Uh, I, I think we kind of, you know, we kind of glossed past the uh, the hooks. I mean, there's plenty of other options that we could have mentioned. Uh, I've been pulling staples out of, like, pallets and stuff all day, and I've been looking at those and thinking, geez, I can make a hook out of that pretty easy. Um, things like that. I've heard many a person use, use one, make one out of a nail, especially like a finishing nail, something a bit smaller, uh, and a pair of Ger a Gerber tool you could quickly fasten. Or, or yeah, machine. well, I... Uh... Last weekend alone, there was a guy forging a knife out in, on the first yeah. episode of Alone out of a nail. So certainly could, <laughs> and it looked like it was coming coming along nicely. So a smaller nail, absolutely. I mean, oh yeah, whatever you found out there. Yeah, um, and I think that's the thing with most hooks is it's going to be a case. Well, I guess with all of this, it's going to be opportunistic. Uh, what you can find readily available around where you're at at the time. Because if you've got to go tromping away and looking for some of these resources, it's probably going to de defeat the purpose of the improvised fishing unless you're in a survival situation, and in which case, you know, all bets are off and gather everything you can. So what about just getting them to swallow the bait and line? Like, get away from the hook portion of it. If they swallow it enough... I guess they try and spit it up, but would you have a chance of pulling a fish in without the hook? Well, it's happened. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, smelts you catch on string. Or you're supposed to catch on string anyway. Yeah? Uh, they say you're supposed to use red string to catch smelts because they'll grab it and you just... I don't know, maybe you know more about that, Gary. That's kind of a thing down here yeah, in Big I, Island. I can't, I can't say that I've heard that, but uh, um, I've certainly seen you know, brought fish at least up to the boat. I mean, I brought big pickerel up to the side of the kayak that have attacked. In fact, I think I have a little on my channel, a little two minute video from, uh, I had a little tiny pickerel on and it, it got attacked three or four times by a bigger pickerel. And I had it right up to the boat several times and it got off again and a bass came in, swallowed everything, and I ended up landing the bass. So um, I'm pretty sure I've landed fish that weren't hooked. 
Uh, I know I've caught frogs on fishing hooks with long plastic worms on that they just jumped up and grabbed the end of the worm and you just pull them ashore. So, I mean, you might not be a fish, but you could have frog legs. Oh, yeah. No, it's oh. definitely true. Uh, so yeah. I guess we're talking baits. Uh, is that kind of what you mean, Ben? Like what could you use for bait oh. maybe to pull something in if you didn't have a hook? Yeah, well, and just bait in general. Like, you know, the hook is, is, is part of it, but the the bait and then eventually we get to the lure, which is kind of it. like, you know, we've mentioned the pepperitz, uh, bacon fat, fat back was something we used a ton growing up. Uh, but almost any piece of meat or food or something that has a, a, an odor tends to bring fish in, or my experience. Um, like I said, I've used crackleberries. Uh, Gary, you mentioned, was it uh, cranberries? Yeah. yeah. Have either of you oh. ever heard of the WD-40 thing? Like, I, I used to I know have. people that swore by it. I've heard about it for stripering, but uh, I never really paid much attention. I think they were spraying their striper bait. Um, yeah, I, I guess the minus basin's known to be pretty muddy, and you throw it a junk of mackerel if it smells a little bit more, but... I, I I just can't see myself ever considering putting a petroleum-based product into the water. Uh, I have heard that, and this this could be completely wrong, and we could snopes it, I guess. But WD forty is actually partly made out of fish oil. Yeah, could be. I have no idea, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, I know it's a bunch of proprietary ingredients, but I have heard, like I said, once again, down from the area I'm at, some of the guys would swear by a little bottle of WD-40 and they'd dip their hooks in it before they go fishing like brown trout or anything, really. And they would oh, swear really? by yeah. it. And I've never had luck with it. Uh, some of them claim that they would even bite at the hooks with no real bait on it, just with the smell of the WD-40, which we're going back to, like, the scent stuff. But yeah. um, I guess kind of coming back to baits, you said uh, cranberries and crackleberries. What I guess for those of us that are not familiar with a crackleberry, what would you describe as a crackleberry, Ben? Uh, it's a low-growing low uh, plant, uh, usually with the, like, the white flowers before it blooms. And then you just have like bunch berries might be another name on it. Bunch um, berries I'm certainly familiar with, but you wouldn't normally find them. Where they'd fall in the well, as long as it represents something that would fall in the water, I guess it wouldn't matter. But yeah, I it was just something that was easy enough for me to find. Uh, it, and again, no, it wouldn't have fallen in the water where I found it. But it's just you know a handful of I guess they're a, a orangish red. Hmm. I said they're a very small um, plant, and it usually get what a few dozen, maybe dozen plus in a spot. So you can pick you can pick a handful pretty quickly, and I threw it in my pocket. And then when I got down to the water, I had something to stick on the hook because I just didn't have bait at the time. <laughs> I certainly have used uh, like caught grasshoppers in the summer, uh, particularly yeah. when I was younger, and because uh, some old you know old guys in the community when I was quite young and and just starting fishing would swear by grasshoppers in the summer. Uh, there's one uh, two really well known. Uh, Nova Scotia fly fishermen. One used to have a uh, trapping in uh, in uh, fly fishing shop in uh, I think it's Clemens Port. Anyway, his name's Reg Barrett. He's, he used to be published in the Eastern Woods and Waters magazine uh, for years when that was going. But they did an experiment on the Cornwallis River where they uh, tied uh, an earwig fly, and they set some earwig traps around their house. And they caught a bunch of earwigs, and they released them in the Cornwallis River and let them float. They uh, did an artificial hatch, and once the trout started feeding on the on the uh, earwigs, uh, they threw threw the fly in there and caught the trout. So apparently, it worked really well. So. Yeah. Um, here's one that I've had luck with, and I don't know. Just some people might dislike this idea, but the eye out of a fish. I've heard that too. Like, um, and I, I guess that means that you have to catch the first fish to be able to go you with it. You have to but... have a fish to start. Yes. Not, but... not, not, not necessarily. <laughs> uh, ice fishing. Yeah. Uh, it, it's quite common on my fishing lures to, 
uh, attach eyes to the uh, the treble hook that that uh, is if it's a rappel of the bottom treble hook or if it's just yeah. a jig or something like that. But uh, you can actually purchase now uh, power bait in little bottles with little they're shaped like fish heads with little tentacles coming off the bottom of them that represents the entrails coming up if you rip the fish head off of a little minnow uh, so you can you can get artificial fish heads if you so chose <laughs> and i probably have a few bottles myself so interesting but i certainly caught lots of fish on fish eyes yeah uh, I think it was actually you and I had this discussion on our first outing there, Ben. We were after catching a few in the pepperettes. Uh, actually, almost any part of the internals, I've had marginal luck catching. Mm -hmm. Like, I've at least had bites on it. Mm -hmm. um, maybe not so much the stomach, but everything else I've had. And I guess maybe just because I never tried the stomach, I honestly have no idea. But, I mean, like the heart and liver and stuff like that, I've had pretty good luck mm -hmm. on getting hits on it. But, once again, I you got to get that first fish, right? I, I normally fish with artificials, and in most cases, I figure I can outfish most people who use live bait with my artificials, Just, but that's where my comfort's at. But for things like flounder fishing, I mean, it happens every year. It probably hasn't, I don't think it's happened to us this year yet, but you'll run out of your clams or worms that you're fishing. You go to the eyes and in the guts if you want to keep on fishing, so. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, you can always use a small piece of the fish too, if you if you have one. Or yep. you get you can get away with a lot. Like I said, almost anything that could fall in the water and it's edible, if if a fish has grown accustomed to it, they'll probably go for it. So most insects, flies, uh, berries that are grow close to the shoreline, all that stuff can eventually track things. And they they seem to be, in my opinion, a lot of fish are pretty inquisitive so they'll bite at almost anything that's new too so. yeah. and you can use the concept of trading up so you yeah. you start you try to catch you know a, a worm or a grub to catch a, a small minnow and then you use the small minnow to catch a bigger fish or a frog mm -hmm. to catch a bigger fish and a lot of people especially in bushcraft fishing world they use that concept or have competitions where they use the just they call it trading up and trying to start small with next to nothing and build yourself up and you can really especially when we're in our area you got the ocean in that you can really, really uh do that quite well around here oh yeah yeah i wasn't even thinking too much but i mean a great point like if you go if you're near the ocean it's usually not too hard to find some kind of bait if nothing else and i've done this is snails the 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 periwinkles periwinkles take them down just snap the shit we used to just break the shell and take them out and stick them on and that's a great awesome bait and it's yep. full fish in pretty good yep. we certainly think, use clams to catch flounder quite often uh, something i wanted to ask gary just because I, I know it might not be in tune with tonight's topic but we digress all the time so you said you use artificial baits uh without getting too much into you know your secrets and stuff like that what's some recommended artificial baits for the local area for anybody that's looking to maybe do some river and stream fishing like out there in the woods with one of those uh travel poles or something like that is there something they should be looking for uh maybe not a specific type but what should they be looking for in a bait that they could throw in their backpack leave it there for you know the summer for say or a couple of weeks whatever the case may be and you really have some pretty standard ones uh if you're looking at rappellas uh there's rappellas every everything from a cd1 which is like a little half inch minnow uh for an ultralight rod to you know ones that will catch stripers are bigger so there's really a stripe if i don't think there's very many fish that a rappella that there isn't a rappella made for uh so like a little two maybe a two inch or an inch and a half rappella a cd3 or something like that that's going to catch you i know for a cd3 for me which is an inch and a half uh lure i've caught everything from uh i've certainly caught small brook trout and i've caught actually my biggest brown trout which was seven pounds uh here in nova scotia came on the same lure so um get a pretty and you can catch decent smallmouth with that too and then of course there's your spinners 
people usually know or have heard of MEPS or Blue Fox, but uh, while I don't yes necessarily use them all that often, I always have them with me as a, a backup. They'll just those are lures that will catch anything. Uh, and those are hard lures, are they not? They're like a, a kind of a yeah. Yeah, you don't yeah. need a hook. the The whole thing comes with its its bait yeah. with a hook in it, kind of deal. Yeah. Right? If I had to pick one, it would probably be spinners, and then you chuck them and you wind them, <laughs> right? Uh, spoons might be right there too. I mean, you see you see on these survivor shows, like alone, usually someone makes something that looks like if it's not a spoon, it's that's what they're trying to imitate because they can throw it out and and uh, bring it in by hand, and it gives a little flash and. So what is it with the spoons that they bite at? What are we just a flash? Because I mean, it really doesn't resemble any kind of edible food. What, or is it like the flip of a fish? Is kind of what it's trying. Yeah, to... it's like the it'll imitate. I, I mean, who really knows? But if you've ever been around mackerel or uh, something like that, they're are, are feeding on Caitlin, the little tiny minnows in the ocean. Uh, when they head in, there's flashing and sparkling all over the place, and uh, so that's attracting your uh, bigger fish to come and hit it. And I think in its simplest form, that's what a spoon or a spinner's really doing. And while we're talking about spoons uh, for improvised fishing, you can literally make one of those out of a spoon, funny enough. I have seen it done. Maybe it was on one of the alone shows or something like that. Or maybe you talked about it, Ben. But I have, I have actually seen somebody at least fish with it. I don't know if they had success. I can't remember. But they did make a spoon out of a spoon and a hook they had. Yeah. Oh yeah, a pop bottle top make actually fairly easy because the metal's fairly soft. To like to make a hole in, in order to attach a hook on one end and another hole to attach your line. There's a pretty quick spoon if you happen to came across a, you know, one of the pop bottle tops, the old metal ones that are beer beer top type of thing so if you're doing that while we're once again staying with the topic would you have to polish that up at all should you try and make it as shiny as you would want it to be i would think uh like well uh if if you get a like a beer top or something like that it's probably already has some color so it depends on if you're out in the woods what what the level of decay was um uh, but uh Generally speaking, on bright days, you want something that's going to catch light, so silver, gold. Um, if it's overcast, then uh, even plain black would work, uh, or bright colors or black. Black is my favorite color to fish at night, uh, sort of the opposite of what most people think. So uh, you know, the duller the day, the brighter the colors. Uh, the uh, brighter the day, then you want the stuff that catches the light that will reflect like silver or gold. That's fair. What's your thoughts, Ben? Well, I was definitely thinking that the pop can thing because that's that's a pretty common one. The, the other thing I've I have seen done is, and it's usually I I I, I say this a little bit uh, is earrings uh, or jewelry. I know I've known quite a few people use jewelry rings uh earrings especially sometimes a, a piece of the necklace or something or charms a lot of uh especially women have the little charms i've seen people hook those to a line to just add that flash that that color i mean if they're a valuable piece of jewelry that that may be a hard sell on whoever owns it but in a in a more of a survival situation definitely something that you can kind of uh, use um now, see, I've never tried making any kind of um, improvised lure spoon, anything like that. Just seen videos. Uh, I know, I guess the biggest experience I had with it was the time we went out and we were using the uh, the cheese wax. We tried it as oh. bait. We tried it as lures. We tried it as spinners pieces. We tried it as a lot of different things. I've, I've actually done that quite a few times. So the, the Baby Bell style cheese. The wax is quite malleable, and you can change it to anything you want. And just out of boredom, I have wrapped the line or the hook with that and just had the hook sticking out. And that stuff, especially if you ever try to melt it, it smells quite strong, and a cheese smell is kind of impregnated into that wax. Uh, and I've gotten things to bite 
bite onto it and I pull fish in on it. So it's, it doesn't repel them. I don't know if it actually brings them in, but it, they don't seem to bother it. mind it. They will bite it. So, yeah. But like you said, it's, you can get away with quite a bit with that. And it's kind of fun to, to play around with. What about you, yep. Gary? Have you had have you made any improvised lures or something like that on the go? Like aside from just finding bait, have you actually tried to throw something together and take a crack at it? Other than uh, like uh, I have fish with an alder pole and and fishing line to the uh, attached to the top type of thing. Um, I've done things younger that uh, well maybe possibly aren't completely legal but as a kid uh you know ca caught i've caught never several species of fish by hand um i've uh, used a rake to catch spear fish before as a kid so uh like the head the head piece off of a, a rake um the sucker run comes to mind and stuff like that where you can get in or gaspero uh you can catch by hand at, at certain choke points and stuff like that but the, that's sort of the extent and more of a young boy playing down on the stream trying to figure out how to what these fish were and and uh finding ways of catching them hmm. well, depending on the fish you're going after in the time of, of year the the coolest thing i have ever seen and there is a video of it somewhere it's not online but there's a video of uh me me and my wife uh, watching the capelin roll in in Newfoundland. And uh, if you've ever seen that, if you had to, ever had the experience of, of capelin rolling on the beach, it's like as far as the eye can see and, and like 30, 40 feet out from the shore, a f solid mass of fish just coming in onto the beach trying to spawn. Uh, and guys back, I've watched guys with that literally like scooping them up in shovels and just throwing them on shore and filling up buckets. Uh, or throwing a net out and getting them. I've had stripers force force uh, Gaspero up past me two or three feet up onto the bank. Uh -huh. Yeah, you'd have a school of 10, 15 Gaspero desperately trying to get away from a school 10 to 15 big stripers. Uh, they'll throw themselves right out of the water at times. Which is kind of odd because that's kind of like jumping out of the fire and in, or out of the frying pan into the fire, you'd think. <laughs> but yeah, it's actually fairly common. Like on the Gaspro River, they'll throw themselves right up on the mud. I've seen uh, golden shiners do it to get away from smallmouth baths as well. I don't know if they know that they're throwing themselves up onto the bank or not, but that's where they're ending up. At least some of them. And I have well, actually. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ben. I was going to say an immediate. Instead, I'm sure their only thought is to get away, and you know, yeah. there's a risk that they'll go up there and dive. There's also a risk that they'll go up there and hit more water or roll back in, and the fish will be gone. So, yeah, and that's a fair enough point. I mean, we do see this quite a bit here in Nova Scotia on our beaches. Uh, I can remember probably 2001, 2002, Big Island Beach when I lived down in that area. We had, like, the beach was lined with these little billfish of some sort. Like, they had a long, not a real billfish, but they were, like, maybe seven, eight inches long, and they had some sort of bill coming off the end of their nose. And when Natural Resources took a look at it, they said they thought it was just because they got mixed up in a warm current and derailed them when they hit our water. They just couldn't handle it, and they beached themselves, basically. But, I mean, I've seen it there. Um, in Sheet Harbor at Taylor Head Park, this was just maybe 2014 2013 do you remember the blood worm infestation that we had up there like they're a tube worm but they're they're like a meter long and they have teeth <laughs> I, I know they pick blood worms around here and sell them but i've never heard of them being a meter long though well the, no, they just the, certainly have teeth i've been bit by them no it, it's i say blood worm but that's not it might have been a, a type of bloodworm, but it's definitely a tube worm. These things are like a meter long. If anybody ever has the opportunity to stop at Taylor Head Beach, uh, if the caretaker is still Harold, and I'm not going to say his last name, but if his first name is Harold, ask him to see the bottled one that we did. And it literally, it was like a meter long, and we put this stuff in this thing in formaldehyde and kept it because it was like, it was hilarious because the seagulls love this because this the beach was black with these worms, 
But the birds would land to try and eat the worms, and the worms would start biting at the birds. Like, it was the funniest stuff you'd ever see. <laughs> it just seems terrifying. Oh, yeah, absolutely <laughs> yeah. terrifying. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to see that. <laughs> yeah. it on worms with teeth? Ah. Yeah, There's no, they were... The... Yeah, was it called Tremors? <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I'm trying to remember if anybody... Who would have pictures of that? Because we took pictures off and stuff. And I mean, it was... It was genuinely terrifying, but it was actually kind of neat, too. You know what I mean? Once again, these things came off the coast of Australia, got mixed up in some sort of tide, ended up here, and the water was too cold for them, and they KO'd themselves. From but, Australia to Nova Scotia. That is a trick, buddy. I know. It was... Uh, that. That's just... Once again, I'm not into the biology of these things. I'm not like a marine biologist or any of this. But when it came back, they figured these things originated somewhere down off the coast of Australia and wandered through the currents somehow. Apparently, they do have some sort of migration path. And they got booted off that and somehow ended up here. Because it was, it was very specifically just Taylor Head Beach. Because normally when you have these beaching incidents, it would hit uh, several beaches. Like you must know like the Man of Wars and stuff like that. You'll see warnings go up four or five different beaches around the area. This was yeah. specific to Taylor Head Park. Um, I'll have to do some digging around. See if I can find some old images and talk to some of the old uh, co-workers. And if I can find something, I'll throw them up in the comments there. And people can take a look at these things. But anyway, I digressed. Uh, so we were talking about spoons and lures. Um, an easy one for out in the bush is like uh, improvised weights. Uh, I'm assuming all of us have at least attempted to try a rock on a line to use as a weight, which does not work. It's the first, first thing I want to bring out there for anybody that's thinking, oh, I don't need weights. I'll just tie a rock on. Get that so, out of your head. It don't work. You, you need a rock that's kind of like eight shaped, like... Hair in the waist that you can tie around. It's not going to slide out because if it's any bit round, I don't have much luck. Yeah. Even ovaled or oblonged or long, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't work no. at all. I've tried hundreds of rocks because I keep, at one point in my life, when I was younger and fishing, I was like, I'll just use a rock. A rock is a weight. And I've never, not once had success doing it. So that being said, what are some things that you can use that you might potentially be able to salvage in the uh, wild to make uh, a weight of? Well, I know I uh, don't generally go into the woods uh, without like a rabbit snare in my pocket. Uh, there's one usually, I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure there's one in my fishing bag and I know they're in most of my coats that I wear in the outdoors. Uh, so adding a little bit of... Uh, of uh, a couple few wines of that around the, the base of the hook or somewhere along the way can uh, get it down a little bit. I was, uh, that's actually what I was thinking when you were mentioning earlier, as far as the, the, uh, the wood hooks floating. Um, well, then I try to wrap some wire or something around it tr mm. or further up the line to try to get it down a little bit. Yeah, because, I mean, they can't be that buoyant. And that would actually work great. I've never thought of doing that. And generally, I do have a piece of snare wire in my bag as well. If you have a few keys. Key will work as a weight plus a lure. It kind of does have the both options. Just try to make sure it's a key a less important than maybe another. Because almost every key I have is, has some importance. But Don't use your house keys, what you're saying, or your car keys? <laughs> definitely not your car keys. Because that, that's really expensive to change. Uh, but... Uh, you know where younger brewers are going. You could never use the car keys. The remote start and stuff's built right into it. It would never work. Well, once upon a time, ladies and gentlemen, that all didn't come on the key. You got a yeah. key. <laughs> it would make a perfect sliding weight, really. Uh, uh, someone wanted to try Carolina rigging or something like that. Yeah, um, and, I, and I have used it. And I've often, like, because I'm horrible for not taking things off my key chain for years, or, or I ha still have a few of them laying around. I have keys that I don't know what they're for. But I'm afraid to throw them out because I may remember. <laughs> so something like that. I'm trying to think of what else uh, I might have within my gear that could act as a weight. And there's not a ton of things. Like Gary's mentioned the snare wires. That's a, that's a pretty good one. Uh Maybe to pull tabs off off of a, a zipper, you could get away with that if you mm, had to. They're heavy enough. Uh, 
or or back to like I mentioned, like a nail or something like that. You can find a piece of metal that's that's existing because it's surprisingly you can't go in. I know it's shocking, but you can't go into too many woods and not find some kind of dirt or garbage that could be used for something, right? Uh, I've even seen people, and we never talked about this with the lures, uh, use the inside of a chip bag. Oh yeah, it's it's reflective enough. I can't remember how they. They cut it in a, an ovaly shape and attached it on the line somehow. Uh, you had to reel it in pretty slow. That's the only thing because it was light and it would tear easy. But anyway, it, it got enough of a reflection going that when it was going through the water, it would you know it would flash. There actually uh, some people will build mackerel lures with that, and uh, they'll attach it almost like a fly, a wing on, wing on a fly on on several hooks and uh, and. Uh, that's what they use for their flash for their four or five or whatever the hook amount of hooks you're allowed to have. I think it's five hooks or something like that uh, on a mackerel set. And maybe you're right. It, it's been ages since I did any mackerel fishing. I actually caught one last year when I was uh, bass fishing, but uh, that was the first time I caught a mackerel in ages. Yeah, I used to go quite a bit. I just not quite as close to it as what I used to be, I guess. Uh, and I guess the last topic we had on our list there was improvised line. And I guess you mentioned that um, Greg Ovens there, he had done some improvised line and when he was doing his fishing videos. And if anybody hasn't watched him, uh, it's, you know, amazing channels. You go out and check it out. Uh, it's Greg Ovens, Rocky Mountain Bushcraft. Yeah, Rocky Mountain Brooks Bushcraft. Bushcraft yeah. or something like that. But in any case, uh, something that does work good for wine uh, and this is kind of tying back to our Cordage one uh, last week. If you can get it uh, at the right time of year, like the leaves of the bulrush or cattail, whatever you want to call it, they can't be too dry or they'll they'll flake off. But if you get that, the fine leaves, and you twist that up, that actually makes a really good reverse wrap uh, cordage. And it's pretty strong. I mean, I wouldn't want to try and haul in a five-pound fish with it. It's just realistically not going to work. But for brook trout or something like that, it's going to work pretty good. The only downside is it does have a tendency to have a little bit of buoyancy to it. it it's almost, um, it doesn't quite float, but it doesn't sink real well, if that makes any kind of any kind of sense. Yeah. No, you had, just have to attach a key to it. You're... Yeah, that that's kind of the whole conversation with weight there. Uh, the other thing that I've actually had some luck with is the inside of plant fiber. Uh, and I'm trying to think. It's it's kind of like mullein, but it's not mullein. It's a tubed-type plant. If you break it open, you actually do get some... It's not fibers in the center, but in the the actual bark of the plant or the, the outer layer of the plant, it actually has fibers. And if you tap it with a rock... And once again, I'll try and figure out the name of this, and I'll jam it in the comments. But it is here in Nova Scotia. I have used it before. It will give you some fibrous uh, material that, once again, if you use a reverse ply, you'll get a nice kind of cordage out of it that you could potentially use as uh, fishing line. And then, of course, yeah, I, oh, sorry, go ahead, Gary. No, I just uh, was saying I haven't really explored making a line or even considered it before, so. I I think it, we, we have to say it because somebody's definitely thinking it, the inner cords out of uh, the paracord. Yeah. Yeah. I had my little sample here. And actually, I think this is the stuff. Oh, and I dropped it. Actually, again. what you had there, a piece like that tied up would actually make a decent bait. Or like a lure. Yeah. And I was going to ask Gary that. As I looked at it, I figured if I tied it off about there, like, I mean, that, that would kind of make, thread a hook through that might make some sort of lure. But yeah. uh, this is the inner strand of that stuff that I was talking about. This is that survival paracord that we talked yeah, about I last. Yeah, I as well. Yeah. And it actually has a strand of fishing line in the inside. And it is fairly strong. Uh, once again, I don't know if I'd go ridiculous with it, but for most things you're going to catch here in the rivers and stuff... Be no problem hand fishing with that. The reality too, uh, like the I I picture it as usually yellow, but the 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 woven line or braided line, you can yeah. pull a strand or two of that out and make a decent little mm. uh, line. It's they're not super strong, not but you you could pull out a small trout or something with it, no problem. Yeah, uh, but. Uh, there's there's a ton of, of of items I'm sure most people have in their kit. I mean, in a pinch, the lock wire itself would mm. work. Um, 
The other one that comes to mind, uh, dental floss. You can as carry long as it's it. non-scented. Why? The mint stuff, uh, I have tried it, and the mint stuff, dropping it in schools of fish, yeah. tends to repel them. They, they don't seem to be attracted to it. They, they kind of literally go away from it. Uh, and I did an experiment on this, uh, just playing around down home, Merrimish River, to be honest with you. And I tried just, you know, you could see these little schools of minnows is what they were. They were some sort of like spike fish. Maybe you know what they are, Gary. They're like two inches long. and they Sounds got... like uh, the uh, stickleback to me. Maybe yeah. got like three barbs on it, like two at the side and one at the top. Yeah. Okay, there's, so you, well, there's a couple different varieties, but it, they're all sticklebacks, yeah. All right, so anyway, you get schools of these things, and they're pretty aggressive. Like, I mean, you can get them to bite string and everything else, and you would, I would drop, like, a uh, fishing line down in there, and, you know, they'd basically stay around with it, maybe bite at the hook, and then I tried the dental floss. Well, that was weird. Um, the uh, non-scented stuff, they had no problem with, but the scented stuff, they actually seemed to avoid. And I don't know if maybe that was a fluke of what I was doing at that time, or if anybody has any insight on this. I, I don't know. Have I no think... idea. Mint does tend to repel some things, but I didn't. I didn't think it would repel fish, but yeah. I, I... insects. <laughs> we we should we should do an experiment next time I see Gary's fishing kit. I'm just going to spray mint all over everything. Yes. Yeah. We're going to on-spool a fishing rod, and we're going to re-spool it with mint floss. <laughs> it's something I always have in my kit, so uh, uh, I I can't stand anything getting in my teeth. It'll drive me darn near crazy, so yeah. uh, you can almost count on it. There's at least one, probably two things of dental floss in the kit there somewhere. So we kind of, like, I mean, there's only so many things that you can do with uh, making improvised line and stuff like that. So does anybody have any follow-ups on that? If not, there was one last little thing that I'd like to touch on uh, that really wasn't included in the list, but I thought we'd all have, at least have our own point of view on it. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, fire. So for me, it was going to be improvised ways of fishing in specific, because everything we've been talking about right now is basically line fishing. Uh, we've talked about making hooks and lures and using line and stuff like that, but there are other ways. Uh, in a survival situation, I'm going to put this out right now, because some of these ways that I'm thinking of may potentially not be... Uh, legal? Legal, yeah, I guess, without getting too far into it. Um, but I mean, I'm thinking like... Uh, Making funnel traps in the river itself. If you have a shallow river or something like that, you can literally, like if the water's flowing down, you uh, build a funnel that goes down so it, it takes all the fish, funnels it into an area, and then you make a reverse funnel on the other side so they kind of got to go in or you block it off, whatever, and then they get trapped in this one little area and it's a small area where they can't swim back out. And you can literally go in and pick these things out by hand or spearfish or do anything else like that, but you're getting them contained in one area. Now, this is a lot yeah. like dragging a river and netting a river, and I can tell you right now, if any natural resources officer sees you or lands and forestry, whatever they call themselves now see you, they're going to give you a bad time. But in a survival situation, these are tried and sound ways of doing this. And like netting a river and stuff like that, if you were so lucky to get a piece of net or building or weaving some sort of barrier in a river, uh, you can actually catch a substantial amount of smaller fish this way. Uh, the bigger fish, and maybe once again, just my experience, tend to stay away from it. They'll like kind of swim down into it and then they'll back out of it, almost like they sense danger. Uh, I have a net. And yeah, there's, uh, there's actually a did. pretty good comment in the comments there by uh, the, the big monkey there. Uh, as far as uh, he had, carries a net hammock. Oh, yeah. Uh, but uh, just from that, I mean, most of us have a net that's attached to her hammock. So or, you know, a bug net, too. So uh, there's there's certainly minnow traps and and stuff like that that you could in a pinch make make in, in those situations and maybe trade up. Uh, and you've mentioned it earlier there, Gary, and I know I've done it as a kid too. I'm guilty for it, but caught fish by hand. Uh, there are areas uh, specifically under waterfalls is where I've had a lot of luck with it, where the water's already fairly rough. Uh, they tend to kind of, this is if you have a set of goggles. In all these instances, I had goggles. If you can kind of get under that rough water and see the shallow patches, they really don't seem bothered by you too much to get in there and 
and literally get a hand on them. Yeah. I've done a lot of uh, like snorkeling with uh, in around smallmouth bass and uh, they're quite inquisitive. They'll swim right up to you and look you over. And so I'm sure I'm, I'm reasonably sure if, if you put your mind to it, you could find ways of catching them. But there, there's other ways, or other things like I mentioned the sucker run earlier. Um, there's runs of fish in Nova Scotia, and I'm sure in most places that uh, people could take advantage of. There's usually something going on at any given time. So, uh, One that I had fairly good luck with, in fact, we did so much of it that um, we had near my cabin, we had these two ponds that used to flood every year when the lake was up high. And then when it went down, these two ponds were completely isolated from the rivers and the lakes. And as the, as the season went on, these ponds ended up smaller and smaller and smaller. And usually around fall time, these ponds that were originally probably about a couple hundred feet across were now a couple of feet across. Uh, and we used to go in there with buckets and just pull the fish out of them. In fact, we spent many a day just going and filling buckets and going back to the lake to re-release them. Hmm. I've but, seen that. Oh, sorry. But if if you wanted to, something like that, like a, a small isolated pond, as the season goes down, it's oftentimes there are a ton of fish trapped there, and they're, they're pretty well going to die anyway. So yeah. it's an opportunity yeah, I live 30 seconds from uh, the Minas Basin, right. and uh, I could go down there. Any low tide, there are little pools left, and uh, I've actually, I'll take a minnow trap quite often, and I'll throw it out in these little tiny pools to catch minnows to go fishing later, but uh, they're small enough that if you put really put your mind to it, you could catch some of these minnows and stuff that get sort of get stranded with the tide. Yeah. On a daily basis. I mean, maybe not in the winter months, but uh, I know right now they're certainly down there uh, every day. So, oh, yeah. Tidal pools are, are a great source of getting. That's exactly what I was going to say. I, I know with tidal waters, that's actually uh, recommended as a survival tactic uh, by a lot of you know survivalists. Is check for tidal pools and find the areas where things are going to be trapped, and you can find... Uh, potential crustaceans like the snails and stuff that we were talking about minnows um and a bunch of other sea life that potentially you could eat as well um have either of you guys ever tried a gill net because dave did mention one down there with his net hammock and have you had any luck with one uh the closest i've come is uh 30 seconds or a minute from the house here uh every spring a guy comes in and puts a gill net uh and he's catching striper bait. So I watch him put it out every year and and go down at low tide to see how he made out. But uh, I've never tried it myself. I've I've found gill nets uh, in some of the rivers in Nova Scotia uh, growing up. Uh, I don't I have it's been years since I've seen something like that. But uh, I know like in the Annapolis River it has a big shad run. I've come across them where people have put nets almost entire length right across the river uh it seemed to be a lot more popular years ago than it is now thankfully but because i'm sure that you can decimate a population pretty quick by doing stuff like that but the, uh we had one in the cab i never used it but uh throw nets that's the ones with the lead all the way around the mm -hmm. circle yeah and the same uh, uh when i worked on the fish farm we had a sane net yeah that had the the, the weight all the way around and if we need it fish from a pond uh we'd throw that out and pull it across and then we'd slowly pull it in to one corner and we'd we'd uh you know maybe have several thousand fish stuck in the net by the time we and use dip nets to get them out yeah. so I, ha I have done that 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 is a neat system like i said uh, i think the one we had at our cabin was actually made by my father's grandfather and he fished with it for years and then dad took it and we made an ornament of it we we set it up in the in the corner of our cabin, uh, so something like that I can definitely picture. But the other one I, I've seen and I've always kind of wanted to try. It's probably highly illegal, because you take the net and you you basically put it on a on a frame square, and they ran 
the lines up to a pole and you dip it down into the water so it sits on the ground. And then as you see fish coming up the river, the guys used to run and jump on the back of the pole, pull it right up out of the water. You ever seen that? No, I haven't seen anything like that. He's even been in a few movies. To take a long pole, you kind of got it on a pivot point so you can lay it down. And when you see the fish come up the river, you jump out and you just pull that whole pole up. And it lifts the whole, the whole net up. Of course, anything on top of the net would get scooped up with it. Mm. Well, there's certainly minnow traps that use that same premise. So, but, uh, net, Netting is obviously a, sort of a tried and tested method. Uh, you, you mentioned like the 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 weir, like the, the funnel to make them go in. Uh, so there's definitely different means, uh, for sure. Uh, that that are definitely fun to use. Uh, if not, if if not illegal. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Most of these improvised methods of fishing, uh, specifically Nova Scotia, they're probably not going to be your everyday. No. Ways but if you're lost, if you're you're in desperate need, and then all of a sudden the warden comes along and gives you shit, well, at least he's there, and you're probably getting out of it now, and then you can deal with the repercussions later, right? Yeah. Uh, we got ourselves into a situation in Cape Breton uh, where we went up in the highlands, and and uh, we were looking for fish, and we checked out this map, and we found a river that looked good, but no roads near it. And uh, we took a compass bearing and uh, went in, got, uh, we came on to this creek that flowed into the river. And we, so we, f we knew once we found that, we could find the river. So we, we came through it and we came to a set of falls. So we climbed down the falls and then we climbed down the next set of falls and the next set of falls and uh, didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. But after a while, we, fig we figured out that we weren't getting back up. Uh, so, uh, long story short, we did fish a little bit. Uh, we made it down to the, to the actual river and fished, caught a few trout and, and, uh, it was an 18 kilometer hike out to, uh, I think it was Bedeck, um, which was nowhere near where we went in. Um, and, uh, the first house we came to where we had to call for help for someone to come get us, uh, was the DNR officer. Um. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and uh, of course, just before there, we came to a sign that said no fishing beyond this point. And uh, so we uh, stopped. And anyway, we stopped at this DNR officer and he's, well, that's all right, boys. He goes, if we never, never expected anyone to come from that direction. Uh, and that's so the then, thing. Um, with experience working with natural resources, maybe not so much on the conservation side of it, but in a survival situation, they're going to be less likely to really bother you about questionable methods of fishing and stuff like that more so than getting you out of there. I mean, if they do want to find you, it's better that they're there to give you the fine and get you out. Yeah. Then nobody be there. You know what I mean? But I mean, most people are reasonable. You guys weren't up there purposely trying to fish an area that was a no fish zone. You guys came in from no. the opposite end, which obviously had a bunch of challenges linked to it. Yeah. And then you came I mean, down. We started it. in the Highlands and we ended up in Bedeck. So um, it was a memorable trip, to say the least. But you made it out. You got some great memories. And I bet you have a few laughs about it now. Yeah. Yeah, I think I have a fishing net at the top of one of those falls. Are you going back for it? No, no. We did joke at the time that we'd do it again in 20 years, but uh, I think we're almost at that point now, and I don't think any of us are too interested in doing that trip again. Oh, it sounds like it was a, a rough run. Uh... Robert, you'll do it, won't you? I mean, I've been through most of the Cape Breton Highlands, so... I I probably have one more run in me, but I mean, it would have to be slow. Like, this isn't going to be a non-stop drudge, I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah the only thing we really didn't talk about, and I guess there's no real point in talking a ton about it, was, like, uh, uh, rod alternatives, which, you know, we did mention the alder whips and stuff like that. But and you also... Aside from that, you made a hobo reel when we roped uh, at the waterfalls, did you not? I'm trying to see if I actually have a, a picture off it here. I thought I did. 
but maybe you can discuss a little bit about what that looks like while I uh, see if I can find it. Oh, you mean just a piece of, basically a piece of wood that you wrap it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's a few names on that. Gary might know a bit more. Just anything to wrap your string around so you can yeah. toss it. I, I keep seeing people make them on a loan. Yeah. And uh, it's always been in the back of my head while I should, you know, sort of learn how to do the intricacies of how to to do that. But uh, I have never got around to it. Because some of them, uh, you've, I've, I've seen guys that can't get it out at all. Other ones, you know, it peels off there pretty good, and they make some decent casts with it. So there's obviously a trick to getting it right. The big thing for me was keeping everything smooth enough, because if there is a hook or a little bit of a, a spot that the string can, can bind up into, it's stopping. Like, it, it's pretty pretty bad in that means but other than that like if you can get it pretty smooth and and almost polished and it you can get it to roll off pretty quick and easy uh, i do have something. a picture off it i'm just trying to oh, did you yep i did find a picture i'm trying to figure out how to put it up here without causing too many issues uh i I'm starting to forget what it looked like, so now I'm going to be all surprised. If you can see it the first time all over again. Ah, I think I got it. Let's let's try this. If I hit this. There we go. You guys yeah. seeing that? Yeah. There we go. Also yeah. has the cheese wrapper, the the baby, uh, baby bell cheese wrapper up there. <laughs> Everything you need right there. Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of what I was talking about with the hobo reel or yeah. hand reel or like you said, there's a couple different names of it. But if anybody who does want to attempt one of these, uh, and I do recommend you attempt it because watching Ben, I've learned a lot. One, um, definitely need to uh, try it before... There we go. Get us back to where Depending on it? Yeah, because as you said, there, there's a lot of snag points and it was the how much... The snag points affected it really surprised me because I thought it would still work a little bit, but anytime yeah. it hit snag point, it really kind of created a problem. Yeah, um, yeah, that one was relatively rough. Uh, it'd be great, and I think I said it at the time when we made it. Uh, I would have, I would have sold my soul at the time for you know a, a piece of sandpaper or even a decent file. Mm. And that's just it. Smooth all those edges out, and that's the secret with those. I think. I don't know. Gonna try it, and I'll get back to you. But smooth it out. Really smooth that sucker out. Yeah. But yeah, I think you know it's it's a fun thing to do, and it's something to just keep in mind of what what alternatives you may have because sometimes you're in a situation where you know best laid plans and all that, and you have to come up with the, an alternative. So uh, it seems like we mentioned alone a few times here. Fish is pretty well the go-to for most of these guys for uh, steady food supply because big game, bird, even small uh, land animals don't seem to be consistent enough to to survive on. Where fishing, well, it's, it's it comes down to fat, right? Yeah, uh, that's your main thing is that there is fat and fish. Uh, yeah. more so in some than others uh, but your salmonoids certainly have some fat in it so uh, you know a, a trout or a salmon as opposed to a rabbit you're going to have to take that trout that trout will take you farther than the rabbit will yeah well yeah, you can uh, actually get protein poisoning off uh, rabbits and stuff can't you if that's the only thing you're eating or protein sickness or something like that yeah, yeah you need to have That's you look at those shows that's fat's a big deal yeah, I, I've I've heard that if you go after like the the brain and everything else with the the rabbit, you you have a little bit more of a chance. A little, yeah. Uh, but there is that definitely a risk. Uh, and the animals that the land animals that you can get that are that have potentially enough fat to really help you are oftentimes the type of animals that can be some of the biggest risk to you too. So like take mm. picture bear things like that, right? Uh, bears your prime fat yeah no bear or raccoon but you don't generally see raccoons in the type of areas you know they're not too popular out in the backwoods there's the, some but not like there is 
in more urbanized areas. But, well, all right. I think we uh, we ate up our hour time slot there. We went off on a few stories and stuff like that. So do you guys have some closing thoughts before we wrap it up for the night? I don't know. For, for me, I, uh, I don't uh, or haven't done a lot of these improvised fishing uh, techniques. Uh, but I would like to encourage people to uh, maybe think outside the box as far as what species they fish for. Uh, I'm certainly trying to do some of that. Maybe, uh, you know, go back and try hornpout. I just watched a video the other day of, of uh, what looked like a wonderful meal of uh, sucker. So, um, you know, that's sort of in the back of my head for things to try over the next year is getting out and trying some of the uh the fish that's available that may not be your top top of the food chain type fish but mm. to see what's out there and uh because that's probably your easier fish to catch if you ever were in a survival situation anyway so yeah i kind of agree with you there gary I'm, you know when you're fishing for survival you're looking for the the fish that's most plentiful, most easy to get. And, you know, it may not be the best taste. It may take a little bit more work to, to properly eat them sometimes. And um, they may be a bonier fish, for example, or something like yeah. that. But it's still, that's a fish. If you can get enough of them, that's going to be a huge advantage after going after the fish that there may only be a handful yeah. available in your area. Uh, the prize fish may not be the one you really need to be focusing on. Uh, other than that, again, yeah, sort of again with what you said, you know, get it to try some things, uh, experiment, have fun. Yeah, and I mean, um, the the thing that's been kind of crippling all of us, of course, COVID, kind of seems like there might be a light in the tunnel, so I don't want to jinx it. I'll just leave it at that. Hopefully in the next little while here, things will get back to we can get out, maybe uh, meet up a little bit, get some fishing trips in, get some camping trips in. So hopefully that entices people to get out there, try some of these things, try some bushcrafty things, try camping in a spot you haven't tried out camping before. Maybe it's next to water and you decide to do a little fishing. Experiment a little. I mean, it's all good information that's going to stay with you. And I mean, you won't know until you try. Absolutely. Yeah. Chicken's going off in the background there, <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly what happened. They, they just started like squawking. I was like, <laughs> if anybody's wondering, Ben got himself some chickens, and they are absolutely adorable. But uh, they can be a bit of a handful. Yeah, the the dog is getting fascinated with them too. So that's a that's an interesting time. <laughs> all right, everybody, have a good night. Night all. Night all. Thanks again for coming on, Gary. No problem. Bye.